0: Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and this is the Made It in Music Podcast, Show 171. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What's up? This is Seth Mosley on the Made It in Music podcast. I've got with me today Jeff Giuliano, who is one of my favorite mix engineers in the entire industry. We've been able to work on a lot of stuff together lately, and I'm just such a fan of Jeff. And I know you are going to be, too, after this Episode if you're not already. But okay. before we jump in, just a quick reminder to make sure that you're subscribed to our Full Circle Music YouTube channel. You're gonna find all of the video versions of these podcasts there, along with free resources and content on songwriting tips, producing professional sounding tracks, music publishing advice, starting out in the industry, and so much more. So to check out the awesome content we have been creating to serve you as a musician, head over to youtube.com/slash Official FC music. Official FC music is in full circle music. Our guest today is the world-renowned mixer, Jeff Giuliano. Jeff has mixed in the country scene for a long list of stars like Michael Ray, Chris Jansen, Jimmy Allen, Kelsey Ballerini, and many more. He's also worked with music duo Dan and Shay since their self-titled LP and mixed much of John Mayer's debut album, Room for Squares. Jeff held a CMA nomination for his mixes and an audio engineer of the year ACM nomination. His work has collectively sold over 30 million records worldwide. Juliana's even teamed up with drummer and longtime partner in music near Z to create an acoustic drum library featured in the icon series of renowned drum sample shop, That Sound. I'm super excited to hear about how Jeff has learned to create sounds, keeping some of the industry's biggest stars happy, and coming back for more. What's up, Jeff? Thanks for being on the show today.
1: Thanks, man. I'm a fan, so it's great to be here.
0: Hey, well, um, let's just jump straight in. Tell us a bit about your story sure. and how, how you first started getting into mix engineering.
1: <laughs> it's all I've ever wanted to do since I was a kid. I was a liner note reader when I was six years old, reading like the Eagles and Jackson Brown records. And I, would, I, would just, I was fascinated how records sounded, and long story short, I just kept listening, and then I learned to play guitar. Went to a studio and the first time with my band way back, And I said, okay, this is what I want to do. When I saw the dude with the console and microphones, I was like, okay, that's it. That's it. And then, again, fast forward, I was, uh, you know, for hire engineer back when producers had their engineer, you know, and did that. So I did that for, you know, probably 10 years traveling around working in different studios and everywhere. And uh, and I really wanted to focus on just mixing at that point. I'm like, okay, 20-hour days. You know, working 30 days, you know, in a straight without a break was awesome experience. But when it came down to it, I was like, okay, I want to I met my wife. I want to start a family. I'm like, I can I just want to mix. So I started doing that. What's that?
0: How long into your journey as an engineer did that pivot happen? Did that transition kind of happen?
1: Man, I wanted to mix from the get go. I I was was almost an engineer by default because that's back when the engineer mixed your your, you mixed as you recorded and then you mixed your own work. I was a huge Brennan O'Brien fan, and he was always like, you know, engineered and mix by Brennan O'Brien was one of the things I would read in, on records. I'm like, dude, I want to do that. You know, so um, I would say pretty early on, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to a point where I build enough with my clients and my credentials because, you know, we're, we're in an entertainment business. And unless you have a bunch of stuff that people think is cool under your belt, you can't just go out there and say, hey, I'm going to be a mixer now and succeed. So I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I got to pull the plug on this. So that was probably, I did that in 2004. I made the transition and okay, I'm not going to engineer over again. And I started mixing. I gave all my mics to my friends and said, if I ever for back, talk me out of it because it means I want to go back to engineering and I can't do that anymore. So here I am.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and I guess with that transition, I would imagine, was there just a lot of saying no to some existing yeah. gigs?
1: Yeah, there was one in particular. It was, um, you remember the artist Liz Fair?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah,
1: yeah. She, I was supposed to do a record with her. John Alasia was the producer, and John and I did a ton of records together, and we're, we're still great friends. Um, and I've told the story before, but he called me and he said, Hey, man, we got the new Liz Fair record. We're doing it. was in L.A. I think it was like, uh, I forgot the name of the studio, The Village or something like that. Some great studio. And he's like, We're going to be here for two weeks tracking, then we're going to go back to my house in Maryland where we had a studio and finish it. And I'm like, yeah, no, I can, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, wait, what? I'm like, I can't. If I don't start mixing now, dude, I appreciate the gig. I appreciate everything you've done, hiring me for other gigs. And, you know, we've had a great run, but I can't. If I don't pull the plug, I'm going to keep doing this, and then I'll never do what I really want to do. So it worked mm-hmm. out. Man. I think he was pissed for a minute, but because he had to find somebody. And, and as a producer, you want to find somebody you trust, yeah. and you know what they do sonically, you know what they bring to the table with their experience and whatnot. And he and I thought alike, so like shared a brain sonically. So it was, it was a tough call for me to do, but I had to do it. And then it was, uh, you know, I said, I'm sorry, dude, but I can't. I got a mix.
0: Were you kind of freaked out at the time? Like, was there a? Oh yeah, a, I guess, like a oh. financial piece of Sure, thing?
1: dude. My wife and I had just bought our house in Easton, Maryland. That's where we lived at the time. And we had just bought our house. Like, we settled the day before I basically quit my job. My steady thing, if that makes sense. Like that was like, I could always rely like, okay, I'm going to do record with him. I'm going to go do record because I used to engineer for like David Bendith would hire me to engineer and we would do heavy stuff. And it was fun because it was a break from like, I do singer songwriter, really cool records with John, great songs. And I'd go do something with David Bendith that would just kick ass. And then uh, like this other producer machine would call me and, uh, and say, Hey, I got this record. And he used to hire me to go in and get like, it was, those were always heavy records, but it was a fun break and kept my mind fresh. But in between all those gigs where I was out of town for months on end, I'd be home for two weeks or whatever. And I would schedule to mix a couple of artists that I found, you know, indie artists that needed mixes. So that's how I kind of, I started breaking into it that way, but I really did go cold Turkey, so to speak and cut the cord and say, I'm done.
0: Yeah. So, well, yeah. The, anytime you're, 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 I have a friend that, that talks about it as the idea of a, a pivot year. Like, yeah. For me a pivot year was the year that i s- decided not to go to college to just jump straight into doing music or right. a pivot year would have been like when i started this company or or when i met my wife or whatever that definitely sounds like it was a pivot year
1: 2004 was my pivot year we just finished the the record for we just finished the lifehouse record which i loved that band and i was a fan of those guys uh before we even did the record so it was just i literally i felt like i went out on finishing on, on a high note in my opinion like, okay, yeah. this is it. I'd rather go out on this than something that, you know, wasn't so great or something I wasn't into. So it was, it was a good transition, but I'm, thank God I did it, man, because this is like, this, this is what I've always wanted to do. And it's, it's honestly all I know how to do. So
0: what was the, uh, the, that you said it was a live house record. That was one of the last yeah. ones you did as an engineer.
1: Yeah. It was their self title is called, um, it was the one that song you and me was on it. And that oh, was yeah. a big record. It was a big record for them. Great guys, but it was an awesome one to do.
0: That's amazing. Were, were yeah. you mixing as well or was that, was that Yeah,
1: a- recording and mixing? Yeah, we did. I did both. So okay. it was, it was and we did it all at Alasia's house. We had his house and on the water in Eastern Maryland and we kind of figured out that like, Hey, you've got this gear. I've had this gear. So we combine all our gear and we turn into a studio. And so we would cut records there that sold millions of copies and we'd keep the budget in check on the recording end because it was his house. We weren't spending three grand a day at electric lady But we had the vibe also built in of we would do, we cut vocals and take the dude water skiing, like and then come back to the house (laughs) and and then finish and then then get crabs for dinner and have a bunch of beers and go finish vocals. So the artists when we did that really felt like they were on like a summer vacation and they weren't living the pressure of being in the studio with a a clock ticking. So it was awesome.
0: Gotcha. And yeah. that was with, that was with John Alasia, You said,
1: yeah, that was with John. Yeah, we had a great thing with that house. I, he sold the house. I wanted to buy it from, him, but he wanted too much money. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was like, damn it, yeah, Gary. Right. So the guy who bought it has, has nothing to do with music, and he has the dude who bought it probably has no idea the history of music that was made in that house. It was crazy. That's,
0: that's incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, and yeah. props to you. Like that, that was a a pretty iconic record that that Lifehouse record, and I I certainly. You know grew up listening to them and we were playing yeah. their songs and cover bands
1: yeah that record was 100 in his living room 100 john mayer was mostly there too that was another one we did most we did drums and bass in new york and what did everything else in that living room man Mixed it too yeah so
0: Let, let's dive into that a little bit All right, what was the setup like was it was it like a kind of piece duct tape together thing or was it oh yeah tape? dude
1: there was no talk back there was like it was we had like a argosy console that just had a bunch of our gear in it and racks of gear because i was a traveling engineer so i'd have like i'd do two weeks here then pack put the lids on and go somewhere else yeah. so um it, it was great it was like the singer in the living room two french doors no talk back it was just like hey man do that again you know Okay. And you just hear them through the wall. It was, it was great. It was completely, uh, it was not acoustically treated. It was a square room. It was carpet, you know, but you, you know, at the end of the day and I listened to his records, I couldn't tell. Yeah. This is, we had great front end gear. We had Mike prees and great mics. And we just kind of knew how, how to make it sound. And, 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 but the, I think the most important part is you, to get the, the artist to vibe out and really capture a moment and emotion if you're stuck in a sterile environment, you, I mean you're going to get it, but it's going to take forever. But if you take a dude water skiing and get him half drunk and put him on a microphone on the deck, we did that too. <laughs> like <laughs> crossing outside, sure, go ahead, let's go. And then we did that. We did that for so many records.
0: That's amazing. So, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was, it yeah. was, yeah. It, it's non-traditional, one hundred percent, but it worked.
0: Do you carry? Well, I guess as a mixer, you're not, you're not working as much in the in the room with with artists and producers, but nah. did you did you carry any of that mentality forward of just kind of like untraditional, non-sterile, non by the yeah. methods?
1: Yeah, dude, half the records I mix now I do on my other rig. It's upstairs on my Grados. And it's not, I mean this room's acoustically treated and it sounds great. I've got great speakers and great monitor section. And it's awesome. I totally know how it sounds I'm used to it. I've been in this room. We've been in this house for studios in my house for 13 years now. So I, I, fig- I feel like I just figured this room out like three years ago. It took me that <laughs> long. You know how it goes. I just, I feel like I, it takes you a while to learn your space. And, and when I was an engineer and we were doing other studios and we we're bouncing around, I'm like, this sucks. I don't know what this room sounds like. Yeah. I don't know what the low end is. And that was back when people car check stuff and would start crying when they heard it in the car. Right. So, but now it's, yeah, I think I, that, that philosophy is where I am all the time. Because I never had a, a real proper studio that was mine until now, so I took that experience of, hey, I can work anywhere and I and, and I do so
0: yeah, yeah. so t- talk about a little bit of the basics, just you know, n- no listener left behind. a lot of people out there who are getting into music and music production may not quite understand some of these terms of like what what's an engineer? How is that different from mixing? What are some of the right. basics of what goes into mixing? Can you break that down a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, engineering, that would be, you know, you're the guy that records the music. And when I started, the guy there was a producer and an engineer. They they always usually ran around in teams, and those guys would usually mix the album as well, or the engineer would mix the album, and the producer would do tweaks, this and that. But so, you know, producer, guidance, work on the songs, work on the performance, engineer is the guy who's capturing everything. And mixing is someone's already done that work. Someone's already spent 20 hours a day trying to, trying to get it out of a singer, trying to get the emotion, editing drums, tuning vocals, doing all that stuff that is, as you know, is, it could be tedious and no fun and take all the vibe out of everything creative. But the, so then you give it, to, it, the, give it to a guy like me and I mix it. I take all the tracks. It's usually all separated and, you know, I, I make it hopefully sound good. If it sounds terrible, it's, it's, it's on the radio. It's, it's my fault or the guy that had the ridiculous recall notes (laughs) that I couldn't, that I had no control over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I don't know that I've ever heard anything of yours that sounded like crap. So um, (laughs) thanks. I I think you're same goes. Well, I I think you're doing okay there. Um, can you talk a little bit about, this is a little bit of a, a left turn, but, but you, you hit, you hit on it for just a second. Um, you don't live in Nashville. You don't live in no. L.A. You don't live in one of the hubs. It sounds like, did you no. ever live in one of those cities?
1: Hell no. No, no. I I, uh, I worked enough in New York. I was probably in New York six months a year working as when I was a traveling engineer, when I was just in one studio for a month, one studio for another month, one studio for a week. I was either in like Hoboken, New Jersey at Water Music, which is a great room, or four or five places in New York City, a few places in L.A., and i i i i lived in california for a brief very brief period of time back in the mid 90s and i was like okay this is not for me i just i'm not a city guy and i'm not a the thing is about like i don't live in town and a lot of people i work with are from nashville now i mean i do a ton of in the country world and i've had a few people say yeah well, you know next time you're out let's grab a beer and i'm like dude i don't live there am like what and i'm like no i don't dude i don't live there but it's it's i think we're I live in like Rehoboth Beach, Delaware is my area where I live, and it's a small little beach town, and no one's making records. No one's, no one makes a living doing music here. I think, except for me, you know, like in terms of what I'm doing. I mean, there's guys playing music in clubs when when that happened, but uh, there's it's it's. I like living where I do and having a life and not being tied down to the oh I got to go out and schmooze and do this. I worry if that hurts me sometime career wise because I'm not I'm not in a bar meeting an A&R guy or a manager who's going to get me a gig. I just hope that my work speaks for itself and someone finds me because of that. And so far it's worked out.
0: Yeah. Well, man, it's, it's a question that we get all the time with like our academy students and people that come there. They're always asking, do I need to move to Nashville? Do I need to move to LA? From your perspective, it's less about the schmoozing and it's more about just doing good work.
1: Yeah. That's always been my, I, we, my wife and I talked about it a few years ago of moving there. And I was like, I really, I want to work, work on country records. I want to do it since like I started doing this because of the level of musicianship and just the, the quality of the of the of the recordings and all that. From that, from the technical side. But then my phone rang and it was like, oh, okay, um, Dan and Shay. Okay, all right. I guess I guess <laughs> I guess this is. I don't need to move, you know. So you, so
0: you didn't uh, have to make trips or anything ever.
1: No. No, no. I'd, I'd go down there. Like, I did a drum library with Near, and I went there in Nashville, and it was like, hang out. And I'd go get together some people while I was in town, and hang out and have a couple drinks, and just, just hang out and see friends that I work with, but I never get to see in person, guys I work with, and do this. Like, when I do recall sometime, I, I do a stream with an audio movers thing, and we talk this way. But I'm never in the same state of, as them. So I've never—I never did the trips, never— Never did that. I considered it, but then my phone started ringing with work from there, and I'm like, "All right." And now that the COVID thing hit, people have asked me, "Well, how's this affecting you?" I'm like, "Dude, sorry about that. My my uh, AirPods kicked on the." Uh... No, no worries. It was it no kicked worries. Siri on and started talking to me. No um, so anyway, long story short. Uh, I, I didn't have to move there. I was I was psyched because I, my phone started ringing with with gigs I've always wanted, and I'm just and and when, uh, well, that's where I was. COVID. People asked, you know, has COVID affected your uh, your business? And and I told them, no way. I've been I've been pretty set up for a pandemic since day one because of where I live and how I work. So I'm good.
0: Yeah, I mean you're uh, talking about social distancing. You're you're distant halfway across the country and, and
1: Right. And I think that and I think that if someone was apprehensive about hiring me because I didn't live in town, now that's gone out the window and hopefully hopefully that's taken that out of the uh equation.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think there's something to be said of that cuz not everybody and I would I would put myself in that same category of the schmoozing, the going out late at night, the going to shows that's actually the part that I probably dislike most, Right, being, being an introvert in the, in the music business. Sure. And it's one of those things that I've felt like I kind of still have to do some of. And especially if you're in the city, it's like major FOMO or whatever. But it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's awesome just for me to even hear that that's been your journey. It hasn't been about that. It's been about just doing amazing work.
1: Yeah, never been. It's always, to me, it's always been about just do your best and, you know, someone's going to like it. Just be you. Do yeah. you. And that's yeah. my thing. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't reference other stuff when I'm working. I just do, I hear the song and within 15 seconds or 20 seconds of listening to it. I'm like, okay, in my brain, it's like, that's the end game. I got to get there. No matter what it takes, you know, no matter how long it takes, just make it sound like my initial thought was in my brain and how, how I perceived it. Yeah, and hopefully when I do that, guys like you go, "Oh hell yeah, dude! We're only like five changes away from this." And when that happens, it's great. Yeah, but but we didn't have to go have a drink together to to meet. It's 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 I like I prefer this route. But next time I'm down there, I totally want to come see your spot. Yeah, yeah, dude, for sure, for sure,
0: man. Yeah, Um, you mentioned earlier it's it's really kind of all about building your clients and your credentials and and in your position and really most producers and I guess songwriters for that matter, it's probably the same thing. It's about building that, that clientele and credentials. So what are some steps to kind of achieving that? Cause it's oftentimes it's just getting that first one under your belt. And then everybody's like, Oh, he's the guy that did this or she did that. Or can you speak to yeah. that process a little bit?
1: That's a tough one, man, because I feel like I've gotten, like I had a couple gigs early on in my career where I was just, I was the engineer and, this incredible talent walked in the room as the artist, and I'm like, and the record blew up, and you know everybody knew who it was, and I'm like, wow. Not saying, not taking away from the job I did, because I think every everything I do, whether it's independent or major label artist, I put everything into it every time. I don't, I don't go, okay, well they're only paying me this, so I'm going to do half the job. That's totally not me. So um I would say if you if you, to build. To build that, I would say go find the artist you want to work with. And, you know, if you got to get in the game of saying, hey, give me a shot at this. And if you don't like it, you don't have to pay me. You don't have to use it. But at least I, just if you – and if that's – you know, if it's a bigger artist and just, you know, all you can do is ask. Find the right avenues. But but I, I don't know how to – with this day and age and everybody being so connected on social media and everybody not having to be in the same place um, – I would say just reach out to people on social media and say, "Hey, I'm a mixer, or I'm an engineer, or, I'm a producer, I've got a song." I, I, it's, it's really kind of a scratch-off lotto, man. Like I, I can't. Out accru- it's, it's a tough. That's a tough question because I feel like I got some building blocks early on in my career that helped me move forward. That that gave me some legitimacy in in the world. And yeah, I'm yeah. So well, I can
0: I can relate to that too. I mean, I think the first CD I got when I was a kid. I grew up listening to Christian music. I wasn't allowed to listen right. to like secular stuff, and
1: Ooh, you know, my you parents that
0: wasn't, wasn't allowed. No, wow,
1: I've heard it that was, before.
0: It was like a wow. super strict, you know, Nazarene. My parents are super cool, and they they're way more laid back now. It's just I was the oldest child, and like that's what I grew up with. But
1: so you wanted to listen to Megadeth immediately, and, and you just <laughs> wanted to go totally the other direction.
0: No, I di- I didn't know who Megadeth was. Like, right. that's, that's the thing. It's it's, but for,
1: for so me, who was it?
0: Yeah, no. For me, the first uh, the first CD I got when I was a kid was from this band called Newsboys. It was a Christian band uh, back in nineteen ninety five, and then the first label record I ended up producing when I moved to Nashville in two thousand nine was for Newsboys, and it ended up being wow. this crazy full circle that's, moment. That's you know,
1: is that why you full circle music? That's yeah, exactly. that's awesome, dude. That's a great story.
0: Yeah, and and so I I relate to that, and and but. There's your ten thousand hours before that 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 are not the oh, piece yeah. that everybody sees where you're sure essentially you're working in a little studio for three years and turd polishing for ten thousand uh, hours so oh
1: yeah yeah twenty thousand hours really I mean I've I've done so much of that but like it it the whole my whole thing is if I get something in it's like there's always a part of something not all gigs but a lot of good majority of gigs will have a track and I'm like what were they thinking I mean what am I supposed to do with this and then I'll call my my. My prep guy, Dave Cook, who I got to give massive credit to at some point in this, he's he's just like he sets everything up for not sets it up, but he organizes the sessions for me. But he'll send me a say, "Dude, you're so screwed." I'm like, what? he'll send me a text like ten o'clock night. Like, you're screwed on that song tomorrow. I'm like, why? He's like, the overheads are terrible. The guy didn't know what he was doing, or the the vocals distorted. And I'm like, God. But my whole thing is, even with that, to have the listener in the end not hear that problem is. Part of my job, so there's a lot of turd polishing. So to quote quote you on that, it's great.
0: Yeah, well, and even and even today, I I love that you're you're saying that. I mean, it's even yeah when when you get to the level of where you're at. A lot of people think, oh, this is only pro. Oh no, no way,
1: no, because everybody's got the Apollo on the bus, you know, and they they have the ability to have their laptop and their Apollo, which is a great thing. But when you've got you know the air conditioner always in the background or the rumbling of the road. Or, you know, a dog barking because you're in a hotel. Like, there's just there's way more room for error now. Back when I grew up, it's like, okay, we were in a studio. We are in a controlled environment making a record. And then when we did those kind of records, but then in, in John's house when we did them there, it was like, Get ready for it. We unplugged his his refrigerator because you'd hear the air compressor kick on during vocals. And then we'd forget to plug it back in later and all the food would spoil. It was great. (laughs) But so there's room there's way more room for error now, I think, with like the the, with the with the tracking to be messed up. Because you have more inexperienced people doing it.
0: It's almost like a vibe now. Like I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's almost like in some ways, the crappier it sounds, the more lo-fi it sounds, the more (sighs) modern it sounds.
1: I don't. I don't. Man, I can't. I can't get into that.
0: I mean, it's like I gotta, the yeah. like the iPhone mic. Like, oh, there's a lot dude. of examples of like people cutting like final master tracks on lots of them that probably both you and I know. Right. That
1: yeah. Like, that's part of the vibe. Yeah, but there, to me, that's no vibe. That's just causing more work on the mixer. And then it. Yeah. Why? I just I got into this to make stuff sound good. And I've even had records where people, like, I mean, I get the lo-fi thing, and I get the dirty, gritty thing and the retro thing. I totally get that. But there was a period back, you know, I don't know, five or seven years ago when everybody was stomping and clapping and making everything dark and a spring reverb on every vocal, you know, back the uh, Lumineers kind of time. Yeah. And people would call me. I had an agent, a manager back then. He'd say, oh, I got this new gig for you. It's a Brooklyn band. It's that. And he, they would come in and they'd say, we want to sound like this and we want the drums to sound like crap. And I'm like, dude, just here's your deposit back. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not your guy. Find the guy who does that because I got into this to make shit sound good. And if I, if I can't do that and someone's telling me to make it sound bad or worse than the rough, I'm, I'm, my creative, what you're hiring me for is gone. Yeah, and I'm just tired of the guy that does that because there are plenty of dudes that do that great and and live for that stuff. But
0: yeah, my thing is I want to sound. It's a different style, almost. It's like a style of producing of like it's it's like it's it's so bad it's good or something. Like I don't even know how to say it. But right, it's it's, yeah. There's a lot of people using that. But but again, what it sounds like you're saying is like give me give it to me clean, give me good performances. We can lo-fi it after the fact, put some plugins on it if you want it to sound like that
1: yeah I'd rather have the control over it that way but there's certain there, there, that I have the other part of my brain that says if you want it that way record it that way yeah. if you want the guitar with delay on it put it on the guy's going to play differently and I've said this in another podcast I'm like if you're vibing on a guitar don't like give it to me dry capture that you yeah. know your photographer capture the artist and it who they are yeah. and not don't make it too clean and sterile I'm not saying that at all but when it comes to basics like the overheads of a drum kit. Jesus, just give me basic overheads. Don't put them through a garden hose. And, you know, (laughs) and I've had, I've had a, I've had an overhead, a mono, like I do some tracks. I make some tracks for the third eye blind record. And Steven, he's great. That guy's like crazy energy. They, the drum kit was a mono overhead. And I'm like, come on, man, you're third eye blind. Like, where, what, like, give me the, you know, I made it sound great with ozone. Here's a tip ozone. there's one of their spatializer plugins. It's just the one with the one knob. It sounds fantastic on mono overheads if you ever screwed with that, but it saved my ass. Yeah. Thank God for that. so anyway, yeah
0: yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Um, so as we're talking about gear and people starting out and wanting to make sure they're, they're getting into the game properly, what affordable gear and/or resources would you suggest people starting with?
1: For tracking or mixing or for, both? for
0: mixing, for mixing.
1: The, the number one thing I think for mixing is uh, get a get a D to A, a monitor section. Don't use the Apple laptop headphone jack. It sucks, and it, it'll skew everything. The most To me, the most important piece of gear to me in my studio, what I've learned over the years, I used to think I needed this gear for this and summing for this. No. You need to understand your environment, your acoustics, your walls. Or if you're using headphones, understand your headphones. Know how other music sounds in those. A great set of monitors that sound great, that sound, know how your monitors sound in your room with other music. It's all about listening to stuff you love that you didn't record or track through the system over and over and get your room sounding good. And understanding and the monitor section is as important as the speakers in my book, in my brain. So um, I, just getting those two things right, I don't think it really matters what you have because I used to mix with all this analog gear. I had, racks of vintage neves and stuff dude i don't have anything anymore so um it's just because i mix everything in the box now and it's funny how i used to think i needed stuff and i don't you could get away with just the stock plugins and digi and some wave stuff some ua stuff if you want to slate stuff is great um just know your speakers and know your room and i think that's the most important thing
0: well and you even talked about headphones like is is that that's so so you're mixing on a pair of headphones a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah,
1: I have yeah. Grado uh, RS ones. Scott Hendricks and Dan Smyers turned me on to them. I was, I was doing uh, a record for them, and Scott Hendricks called me with some recall tweaks. And he was quote he would say, "Can we hear a little bit more of this right here?" And I'm like, "Dude, what are you listening on?" Because I wasn't necessarily hearing what he's asking for on my speakers. And he said, "You know, he's in his best husky." Great O R S ones. You know, I'm like, what? And he goes, You don't have any of these? I'm like, no. And he goes, get yourself a set of them, burn them in, get a grace D to A monitor section, right? And and they'll change your life and you'll probably be able to mix on them one day. Yeah. And he's right. Dude, I've done so many records on my rig upstairs, which is I can also take with me when we go in our fifth wheel camper and go to places. I can work wherever now because of those headphones. He was right. But um They're open back, and they sound great, and I really understand how – they have a great translation between when I put them on my head and walk into my room, I feel like I'm in the same space. But, again, gear doesn't matter in terms of you don't have to go buy Gratos to get that. You can get that out of – it's about you and your brain understanding how to – you love the way something else sounds. Just make your stuff sound like that in that environment, whether it's speakers. But I still think the monitor section – is hugely important like you don't use the the laptop headphone out that'll screw you so, because it's every, everything i do is or I, anybody that's mixing you're making decisions thousands yeah. of decisions all day long and if you don't hear that properly if you're if you if your system your computer is not playing it back properly you're not hearing it you're going to make bad judgment calls all day long and it's not on, on you necessarily it's on the the output of the computer
0: so do you think like the level of and yeah, I got a I got a shout out to the Grado suggestion as well, too. It's I, I got a pair of those not too long ago. And just the first time you put them on, I think part of it was that I never owned a pair of open back ones before. Neither had
1: I. freak freaked me out.
0: It's the weirdest sounding thing, but you feel like you're listening to studio monitors.
1: Yeah, and it's just, and then what I've realized with them is there was like a 100-hour burn-in period. I found this app that was free on your laptop, and I would just, it just blows pink noise through your headphones. So I'd go to bed at night, put them, plug them in my laptop using the headphone jack because I didn't care. It was just burning the speakers or headphones, and just let it run. And after it hit that 100-hour point, I feel like the low end in them and the top end calmed down, and everything sounded so much better. So wow. I can I can work. What's, what's a great feeling to me as a mixer and spending so many years doing it is having all this stuff, going through all the, you know, I got to have an SSL on this, and a vintage 1176 on this, because that's what's cool. And that's why I think people get caught up in the whole gear thing, and they screw themselves, because they are saving for this piece of gear. They think they can't do something, because you get stuck thinking you need certain things, and you don't. Just use your brain, use your instinct, and just go for it. So talking about
0: the gear, the gear really doesn't matter that much. Would you say, just even at an entry point, though, would you say the Apollo, the UAD Apollo, oh, is that of good enough quality to, to get? Yeah, it
1: I think matter? so. That's why I own mine is because I had that. I, I, I bought it for my, to get into mixing the box. I had my laptop. I'm like, if, you know, if to be able to do everything just on that would be a great feeling. So the, the Apollo is great for that. And the d on that is pretty solid. So I think you can make great decisions on that.
0: Gotcha. And you I won't that, go
1: broke.
0: Yeah. I know that's what a lot of people, what a lot of people have. A lot of people use that. And, and, but yeah, have yeah. some good headphones. So let's talk a little bit about genres because you're, you're, you talked a little bit about, you know, you started with David Bendeth and some of those guys and, and then John <laughs> Alasia. Yeah. Can you talk about how you think about genres and like how you mix a song across different genres?
1: Yeah. I think it just, again, you approach it from, you hear, the material, like if someone sends me the song, I'll pull up the tracks or if they send me a rough, listen to the rough and just kind of figure out where, you know, just be a chameleon. I feel like I can mix, I can mix a heavy record. I can mix a hip hop record. I can mix a country record. It's all about just knowing that, knowing those styles of music and knowing, okay, all right, this one's got eight oh eight, and it's just to be thick in the low end here. And this one's got, you know, really f- fast tempo and a lot of kick drums. So it's, you I got to thin it out down there to, to hear the subdivision and whatnot, but that's it. To me, it's just about. It's almost like with mixing different genres of music, and I do mix. Like I'm mixing this uh, this pop record now for this girl, Tate McRae. She has a single coming out tomorrow that I did. I've done like three of them. She's a yeah. killer. She's amazing, and she's an example of bare bones. She's doing everything. Like it's her whole setup is crazy. It's just her and a slate microphone in an Apollo Arrow with Dave Cook, who's prepped songs for me, producing the vocals over over audio movers, this is a great one. And she just, she, she's, uh, you know, platinum number one selling artist and, and her, they just did a whole thing on her. She did all this without leaving her bedroom. <laughs> because wow. It's, but again, minimal gear. Um, back to the listening to different genres and figuring that out. Um, I think that um, it's just about knowing where to go, knowing where to take the song with, with hearing it, you know, right in, like, listen to the rough, listen to the tracks writing, and just figure it out. So, I, I think that if you just mix one genre forever, I think you'll screw yourself. I think it's yeah. kind of cool to step outside. I feel great, like, mixing pop and then going back to country. It's pretty cool. And I'm doing this, you know, some, I'm doing another guy, this guy, Lathan Warlick. He's hip hop artist. He's great. Um, and he's got a bunch of features on it, but he's, it's, it's great to step in and out of that stuff.
0: So has your success in, let's say, like the Dan and Shay song, like with Bieber, like did that open the door any for the pop world, or or was were those all things you kind of had been doing anyway the whole time?
1: No, it didn't. Well, Serban gets most of those gigs, you know. Sure. And his kid now, <laughs> Alex, his son, gets gets the other part of them, which yeah. rightfully so. I wish my kid would start mixing. He has no interest in it uh, <laughs> because I would, I would, he would, he would, he would. I could I could teach him a lot, but I probably will one day. Who knows? Yeah. I'm waiting on him to actually say okay, and then I'll teach him. Yeah. But um, uh, I it has opened doors, but it hasn't opened doors a ton in in the pop world. Like I'm not getting I I I don't know who half the pop people are. My wife knows who they are from listening to XM in her truck. So I it has it has opened a lot of doors and it's given me legitimacy in that world. If and when they go, hey, you know, Serban's not available, can you do this? And I think it's helped, I think it's helped out with Tate because she's a great, she's a great new pop artist. And I think that helped me out.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. Her, her, her stuff's awesome. So that's, that's she's a great... great.
1: She's so cool. And she's got her own thing. Like, I don't know anybody else that sounds like her. Yeah. So I'm, I'm stoked to be working with her.
0: It's awesome. So let's speak to the artists a little bit. How would you advise an artist when it comes to finding the right mix engineer for their song? Or I guess a producer for that matter too.
1: Go, I would say find someone who, as a, from a producer, say I'm an artist, I'm looking for a producer, find someone who gets me as an artist or you know, gets the band as an artist, understands their vision. Like, like, when, like, like when you're working with High Valley, dude, that is such a great combo. When I hear, like when I mix your work for them, I'm like, oh, this is great. You totally get them. And I don't even know if that's the case, but I I feel listening to those tracks, you totally get them. And I think that's a comfort zone for the artist because it's about about trusting people to work with your art. So you're an artist, you're creating, you're writing songs. You don't want to hand it off to some guy who's going to be a jerk if you ask him to turn the vocal up in the second verse. At the same time, you want him to know where to put that vocal in the second verse and where to place you know the piano and the song over the guitars and kind of get the vision so uh, to me it's about the artist finding the producer who they trust to work with their songs and their performance or help write their songs which is a big thing nowadays because a lot of producers are writers um and a mixer i i think it's about finding someone who just you know Get you, but they won't know that until they work with you, which is a tough one. So I would say find a mixer because you love what they've done on something else. But remember that you're not, as an artist, you're not this other person. You're your own. You have your own identity. Go with that. But say, say someone wants to hire me that loves a Dan and Shea record. I can't make them Dan and Shea, but I can make them sound great for who they are. And maybe there's a sonic aspect of those records that they love, like the vocals or something. Like, hey, I love this blend of this. Okay, great, let's do it. And yeah. I think I've probably been hired a lot because of that, and it's worked out. But in 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 with those same artists, I think I've earned their trust because these people are calling me back. And so it's a, it's a they I understand them, and they understand me, and they understand. Hopefully, if I give this to Jeff to mix me, then he's gonna when he, I get the first mix back, it's gonna be close to my vision and you know, it's the same with working like you and me together. Like when you send me tracks, I dude, I never lose the nervousness sending a a mix back to somebody. I'll never, (laughs) I never lose that because I'll send it back going right before I hit send on the email. I'm like, okay, there it goes. And then I just, and then I kind of just like, you know, then I'm not right for a couple hours until I get an email back because, you know, and tell me if I'm crazy on this, it takes people a while to get back to you sometime on on feedback,
0: yeah, yeah, makes sense.
1: So makes you're like you're, you're sitting here waiting around, going, oh, they hate it, they hate it. And uh, I it's a funny, st- quick story on this. Years ago, I did a, m- a record for Steve Mokler, and I think he's he's so good, and great I love him. I love him. He's a great dude as well. I've hung out with him a few times. Great guy. Yeah. Um, I I mixed a whole record for him. Is a record called uh Watching Time Run. I think I think that was the name of the record. Um, anyway, but I, he sent me the whole record. It was one of those things where people made a whole record and they sent me. He sent me eleven songs to mix. I'm like, this is great. I have the same artist for two weeks. Yeah. So I mix the record. I sent him a song a day. Nothing. Not hearing anything. Sent him the end of the record, and he's like, great, man, awesome, thanks. Like no feedback. I saw him at a show like six months after that record came out. I went and saw him at his little club, and I'm like, dude, you know, I got to be honest. He's like, man, I love the record. I'm like, do you? Because. you you never told me. I'm not looking for a phrase, but man, that little ounce of hell yes, dude, high five, that takes creative types like you and me so far. And it gets us through the gigs that aren't so great. So Steve's like, dude, I love this record. I totaled my car listening to it. I tried (laughs) to jump a railroad track with my buddy and we totaled my truck or his car. And I'm like, okay, you can leave it at that. That's that's the mic drop right there. You totally car. That's all I wanted. But you could have told me earlier. Yeah, Yeah. Unless you're injured.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, uh, if I've ever been the person on that end of things, I got to apologize. for. No, you haven't. No, no, no. I'm not.
1: Again, I'm not (laughs) I'm not looking for that. But, you know, the feeling, the nervousness, you send something out. Yeah. You pitch a song or whatever you do and you send it out. It's just because that's what it makes you realize how vulnerable we are as creative types.
0: Yeah. I mean, it never goes away. Yeah. We're only as good as our next next gig like it's 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 all about it's all about us
1: you can be on top of the mountain at the bottom of the valley within two days you know
0: exactly well i think it
1: keeps us keeps us hungry though i think it's a good thing it humbles humbles you
0: yeah as we're kind of wrapping up i'd love to dive a little bit just into your process if you're cool with that sure um what is your prep process look like i know you mentioned you've got dave cook
1: (laughs) Yeah. Dave cook. Uh, so when you send a song to me and a link, I just forward it to Dave and, uh, he goes through and opens up color codes, relabel stuff if need be organizes. He's basically organization or like, if you say you're working in logic, like when I'm doing a record with Corey Crowder, he, he does all logic sessions. So Dave will take his logic session and meticulously turn it into a pro tool session. And that's that I, I would never want to do that. And, uh, and the other thing is I'll get files from people, a folder of files, like 200 tracks with a BPM, and he has to create a session out of that. He's not doing levels and balancing and EQ and stuff like that because I'm, I, I'm a big believer in earning your money. You know, I don't have yeah. a guy that does all that and takes it 80% there, then I finish it. So he organizes and takes, cleans the toms and just makes sense of it. So when I, by the time I open the session, I'm mixing. I'm not, I'm not letting my creative vibe go out the window Cleaning toms, as we know that can happen, or, or you know, yeah, um, but uh, I still go through and clean vocals up and clip gain like crazy and do all that because I'm crazy that way, but and then I'll mix a song and send it to you guys and then wait on comments and usually start on another song, but from another artist and come back and do tweaks. And then now I've got a guy, um, Eric Kirkland, who's my STEM guy, after the record's all done, I because I think that I'm, I'm really busy now, and the fact that if I didn't have a team like dave and eric like dave on the front end eric on the back end i'd be so screwed i just want to be able like i don't want to he so eric prints all the stems and stuff once it's done and approved i print all the mixes i do all my own revisions i don't have a guy for any of that i I don't believe in that i stay in control of the whole thing once i get it and then those two guys cover the front and back
0: No, i I love that so you mentioned earlier are you about a well i guess let me let me ask this too so it sounds like there's really no templates either for your setup
1: no no i mean i have like auxes i'll import for you know vocal plates and things like that but i most of i leave them inactive and just activate stuff and tweak them as i use them but i'm not using a you know i don't i don't say dave put it in my drum template you know i it's it's i because everything's different it's funny because if my stuff ends up sounding the same it's not because of that it's because i just my brain you know it right says hey this is the way it should sound okay so
0: yeah it's the way you hear stuff it's just
1: instinct right
0: so talk me through a little bit of let's talk about like the drums and the bass like what what is your recommendation i know this is very broad and probably a terrible question but what (laughs) what are some of your your overall recommendations for treating drums and bass in a session is that is that kind of where you start at
1: yeah i'm a yeah i'm like a knucklehead sound guy when i start mixing i mean i pull everything up and kind of get used to it and i'm like okay then pull everything down and realize what's important in the song what makes the hook go you know and, and makes the whole thing lift and i just sit there i, I zone out on drums for a long time and bass not too long on bass a lot of people are scared of bass I, I have i've never had a problem with the bass guitar like that was not it's not my nemesis it's usually toms are my nemesis to make them sound good in the song um but I, let's be honest i mean like we, you probably got into music partially because of drum sounds, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody's yeah, got a yeah. little bit of a drummer back and Yeah, and, and no yeah. one cares who buys the records about how the snare drum sounds, but you and I do. It, it, yeah. It'll screw our day up if it's not right.
0: Yeah. So, oh,
1: yeah. yeah, I spent a while on drums and bass and really kind of get them sounding good and then, you know, then bring in the other stuff around it. I work on the instrumental for a long time before I bring in the vocals. Yeah. But I know where the vocals are from listening to the rough or listening to the tracks really quickly at the front end. But I, I work on the instrumental for hours before I even touch the vocals. And Not then good. I go into complete lunacy mode and you know, program DSers on half words and <laughs> or automate. Yeah. I mean, I I go crazy with vocals. So um but yeah, and then it kind of falls all into place. That's but I awesome. think drums and bass building a foundation up from the get-go is 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 huge.
0: Can you talk about your... You, you hit on a couple things, but can you, what's, do you have a go-to way of treating vocals in a session? Like, what's your process on the vocal side of things?
1: I just start with the lead and just find out what's going to work EQ-wise, compression, what kind of ambience to... What kind of space to put the singer in? Yeah. You know, and I have certain things I'll, I'll do on everything. Just like, oh, okay, I'll have a slap hidden in there, a stereo one, a mono one ducked in there to give it some forwardness. But I think it's about just again it goes back to the song what does the song need is it? does the song need this real present up front vocal does it need a vocal that's sitting in the track more and then there's no rules i don't do this i i probably don't do the same thing twice a lot so mm-hmm. because all the recordings are different too so right. again some needs this some vocals need this plug-in some need a multi-band compressor some don't all right. of them need a bunch of little tiny rides and a Uh, and all of them need a bunch of crazy dsing automation but that's on me sure but but you know i i I guess i care too much i i I really zone on vocals though i mean i get i zone on everything else but the vocal sells the song no matter what the genre of the artist
0: yeah well i always appreciate the way when i whenever we get a mix back from you i mean those are my two most important elements in any mix
1: are the drums, <laughs> drums and vocals. The drums
0: and the vocals, and, and you you always nail those. So
1: that's great, man. That's good to know. Yeah, not to say Thanks. you don't
0: nail the other parts, but no. It, but
1: you know, you guys really like. I'll, I got t- I got to give you props on man. You're, you're tracking on y'all's and you and X like really know how to do that well. And every time, like even Dave, he he will send me the text on your stuff. Like, dude, these drums kick ass. These, this thing is so well done. I'm like, hell yes, thank you. You just made my Wednesday. On a Tuesday night, way better. Like if I'm getting this text at Tuesday night, I'm stoked that my day isn't gonna be like a horror movie the next day. So yeah, yeah it's it's yeah, it's yeah, again,
0: shout out credit where credit is dude. Shout out to X. I mean, he's the the mastermind behind the engineering and the the sounds and the you know sonics. Of yeah, and
1: he's of such a positive dude too, which is like is. even his texts are like this guy's <laughs> awesome, man. He's all pumped up. Either he's heavily caffeinated or he's just really <laughs> No, that's that's just stoked. Him. That's, that's just so him, great. Man. It's, it's so it's great
0: positive um a couple more questions and then we'll jump into our lightning round what Go are down. some what are some plugins nowadays that you can't live without
1: um this is weird not weird but there's a guy engineer from jersey his name's dan corniff do you know dan no anyway it's his plugin his corniff audio he has this a couple he's a he's one of these guys that builds his own gear okay so he will take an old stay level compressor and gut it and put new caps and resistors and tubes and weird shit. Like he's one of those guys. Like he, he looks at a Saturn iron and a a block of wire. And it's like, I can make something out of that. So (laughs) I, you know, I, I left all the, the Dan, but I love all the usuals like UA and, in uh, in waves and slate and, and the plugin Alliance stuff is stuff is awesome. But Dan's compressor and he's got a talkback limiter too which is like what sounds like on an old neve or something like a like a smash talkback mic those things sound incredible and i text him i'm like dude your your compressor you probably built for metal records is the best thing in the world on country music banjo and he's like are you serious i'm like yeah dude like you've got it like people need to i'm sure everybody knows about those plugins but if not go go get them they're not they're not expensive and he like you can go in and change the you can change the tubes in there and the circuitry, but his stuff is great.
0: That's that's awesome. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and people can find that at Corniff Audio. I F-
1: think it's just Google Corniff Audio. I don't K- know.
0: K-O-R-N-E-F-F. K-
1: yeah, and he's a great guy, but I, I've been loving his stuff. And it's, it's, I think he says a couple things out. I, I use his – it's his called the Pawn Shop 2 compressor. Yeah. And it's yeah. amazing. It's the fastest and the makeup gain sounds killer, but it sounds great. I mean everything I put that thing on sounds awesome. It can almost get too aggressive for some of the stuff I do. Right. So I got to dial back the wet, wet dry thing, but yeah. the ti- but other than his stuff, it's you know the typical you know what yeah. everybody else uses. For sure. Yeah.
0: Um so last couple questions. And this one's more of a general. We've dove into the weeds a little bit. We've talked about the process. We've talked about how you started out looking back, what are some hard lessons that you had to learn along the way? Or, you know, is there anything that you wish you could go back and do again?
1: No, I I, I can't, I can't like, no, I'm good. I feel, I feel like, I feel like I've, I've done what I set out to do. Hmm. It took a while, but everything does. You got to work hard for it, but I don't, I don't, I don't, in music career, man, I have no regrets. Mm. None. Yeah.
0: Were there any, were there any like lessons you learned along the way or things that you? Be yourself. Okay.
1: Like, don't, don't try to, don't, as a mixer, don't try to be another mixer. Just do what you do. Mm. And people, if people will find that and people will love that. Like there's somebody out, it's like, almost like a dating service, dude. There's someone out there for you. But it's but it's true. Like just, I think that if you just really have, if you have a great work ethic and you've got, you know, a brain and you've just you have a vision and you hook up with the right artists and just go for it. I just, I, yeah,
0: that's awesome. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna send you a t-shirt with like your face and a mixing console. (laughs) There's someone out there for you.
1: (laughs) That's so good. There's probably there's probably there's there's a business avenue that uh, dating for like audio industry people.
0: That's uh, yeah. You
1: like sitting in a room by yourself in dark room for hours on end without speaking to any humans. <laughs> swipe, swipe up.
0: There's someone out there for you. <laughs> yep.
1: Yep. So
0: um, where can our listeners go to keep up with your work, connect with you, follow you? Are you on the socials? You
1: have a website. Yeah. I have a website. It's I update it like twice a year. So don't be surprised if it's something old <laughs> on there and nothing's current. Uh, the uh, Instagram I have a Twitter, but I don't even I don't tweet, so I'm boring. I used to tweet, now I just don't. I don't in Facebook. I I I don't do a whole lot of that stuff. I, I'm more I I my Instagram is guys like watching guys like you because your little short stories of like hey, how do you make money in publishing? That's by the way, that's brilliant hmm. because I've sent that to people that ask me these questions. I'm like I don't know how to answer that, but go check this dude out. He does that's
0: awesome. Yeah, yeah, so
1: I think you like you're putting great information out there for a lot of unanswered questions that people just they don't have the answer. So
0: well, it's, I appreciate you saying that. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird business. So I feel like even just what you're doing today, you know, your generosity of your time, being able to share. Yeah, with it's, it's so great. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some kid listening listening to this out there right now that is just getting super inspired and and, and awesome. to go tackle tackle the universe. So that's
1: killer. That's killer. Well, I hope yeah. so.
0: Yeah. So let's jump into the lightning round. Are you ready? Sure. Absolutely. All right number one how did you come to love uh this is actually i don't quite understand this question but Uh, i'm screwed then i'll say it again i'll say it anyway how did you come to love one of your favorite musicians
1: uh working with them personally on a record okay
0: Okay. that's that's a great answer actually
1: yeah uh
0: number two who's your favorite actor or actress
1: (laughs) dude uh, actor, I would say I'm a huge Matthew McConaughey fan just because of his recent book on Audible. Have you, yeah, I was going to say, have you read Green Lights? I, I listened to it on Audible and and I would say I would not read it, the text. I would, I would much rather because his personality reading those, that book to you is priceless. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of him now. Yeah. I always thought he was great, but that guy, he's my hero now. That book is amazing.
0: I I had a friend that had him on his pod. Cast a few months ago about about the book and I listened to him on that and then I got the book and I'm like man I like listening to him way more than I like reading this thing so you didn't
1: do the audible thing you didn't do the audiobook
0: I I'm I need to is what I need to
1: do I'm buying for you today I'm gonna gift it to you
0: all right I'm telling you
1: I'm (laughs) it's so good it's so good
0: um what's the best vacation you've been on
1: (sighs) vacation um dude we do it a couple times a year so I, I, yeah, I, that, that's a tough one. The one we're about to take to the Keys in March. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Would you rather live full-time in an RV or full-time <laughs> on a sailboat and why?
1: RV. Because it, it, wintertime on a boat sucks.
0: Well said. Well said. Yep. You can always drive to a warm place.
1: Yeah. And we're, that's what we're doing in March. We have an RV. So yeah. Love that. There you go. Yeah.
0: Um, This is a funny one, but I'm just going to ask it. What's your favorite band name? Not necessarily your favorite band.
1: I I can't even. Dude, you stumped me on this one. (laughs) That is like, there's no lightning in this round right here because (laughs) band name? I have no idea. But I've always thought it would be a good band name, Rent to Own. You know, like you ever see the sheds on the side of the highway? And they always have a sign in front of the sheds. the, The guys that sell sheds on the highway. There's always a sign there that says Rent to Own. I'm like, who's renting a shed? But that'd be a great band name.
0: Yeah, it's I, my my go tos on the band names are always like went back when I used to tour and you you have these local bands that would, would show up. <laughs> I have a whole list of those as, as I'm sure you do too. I have a Nickelback. Oh, there you go, Nickelback. There you go. Um, but I, the the best one that I ever heard was was this band in Florida that I don't even know how they got on the bill because stylistically did not fit with any of the other bands, but they were called feeble wiener (laughs) feeble wiener was was the band and so that was like our we got a sticker from them and like put it on our trailer
1: and (laughs) that's awesome man feeble wiener i bet you they're still doing it man they're like waiting for the midwest to open back up
0: probably so yep yep
1: yep. hey
0: uh jeff this has been an absolute blast we are going to be doing a, a quick deep dive about how you got into uh got in partnership with near z and made that whole sample pack so okay. uh, if people are interested in the deep dive they can always go to made it in all the deep dives are there including this one and uh, i gotta say i love the samples i use them on the daily so i'm really personally interested in this but jeff thank you so much for being on the made it music podcast thanks for having me man it's
1: been a pleasure it's been an honor that you guys are great i love what you do